Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Well, I am very excited today to, for a warm uh, Collisions YYC welcome to the Honorable Tyler Shandro, Alberta's Minister of Health. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. I have to say, um, you are the first Minister of Health I've had on. You've also been the first other Tyler I've had on. So that's a bit weird, but I think we can work through that pretty early in the show. <laughs> and as I, I logged in to, to the software, um, I realized, why why did I type in only my first name? It never dawned on me that I should be also including my last name since there's two of us. That's that's too funny. When you, again, you and I joked, not to go down this rabbit hole, but you and I growing up, uh, I was the only Tyler in my school. It wasn't a thing. I wasn't a Chris or a Mike or a Jason or some of the, some of the you know, I joke, the more, the more like my wife always asks when I say my buddy Chris, she's like, well, which one specifically? Because I think I got like six, I have six of them in kind of different aspects of my life. But anyways, a pleasure to meet another Tyler. Really excited to have you on the show. Um, let's open it. Like, this shows about economic transformation in Alberta and all of the realities that are impacting us. It's been quite a journey over the last five, six years. Um, I've, I joke around, I'm too young to say, remember the good old days. And I don't actually believe that's true, but I've been in Alberta since 2000. And the last six years have been challenging. And it's hard to have a conversation about economic transformation or just economic impact in general in our province without talking about the role that healthcare plays as one of lar- the largest budget line items that we deal with on a government level. And a role that for yourself, 2019 to now, uh, financial realities, COVID, uh, it's maybe just touch on a little bit. How, how's it been? How's the first kind of 18, 19 months in the role been for you? Um, it, incredibly rewarding. I mean, it's, uh, as I was saying before the show, uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart because uh, it has been um, a really uh, uh, consequential period of time for, for, the, um, for the healthcare system and for all Albertans. Um, you know, um, this is a, an area of, um, of, of government that, that touches everybody's lives. Everybody is, is, has some interaction with the healthcare system. This is where we're born. This is, um, where, um, we lose our loved ones. Um, this is, uh, where, where miracles happen. And, um, we, we have a really strong connection to our hospitals and, uh, to the rest of the healthcare system. And so it means so much to us. Um, but um, it, it's also just been rewarding because um, it, it, there have been some really important areas of healthcare which have just been ignored for a really long period of time, and, um, and which need attention and which need um, some some transformation. So um, we're happy. I'm happy to to be part of the the team that's um, working on these things. I really like the way you said that. It, it touches on like it's such a such a badge of honor being Canadian in the healthcare system we have speaking on, on, on overall. But if you think about it on a personal level, there's some of the most high points of your life, but also the most low points are tied to the healthcare system and, you know, the death of a loved one or the birth of a, of a newborn, like the, the, the extremes of that and, and being the person or being part of the team that's going in to revise that and to quote unquote, make it, make it better. There's, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of optics. And I can imagine certainly as we've all seen the media in the last, you know, and COVID on top of it, which we'll touch on a little bit. I think that, that, that topic's being really well covered out there in the media. I don't want to necessarily spend a lot of time necessarily on that, even though it's incredibly important. But some of the changes, I'm assuming for like, just let's back up to January, February of this year before COVID became the reality was it, is it, was it was. How much, I guess, what plan did you guys have in place versus how much was that shifted when the big left hook that got us all of COVID came into came into play kind of middle of, middle of March? Um, how, how much did we have? Well, I guess, look, I think, um, is, is mostly a matter of, of delaying stuff. You know, there's so many projects that we were working on that, 
um, as, you know, I think the 600 people who work in the ministry, the, the ministry is kind of the, um, the, the policy, um, part of, of the, the healthcare system. And, and then, you know, there's the 110,000 employees in HS who kind of deal with the operations and, as well as the, the, the 11,000 doctors as well who kind of deal with, with actually uh, providing care to people. Um, but those 600 people, as well as everyone in AHS, suddenly had to pivot 100% of their attention to, to COVID starting in, in January and, and February, whether it was, you know, making sure we had enough PPE, having, making sure we had that uh, acute care capacity. And so there's a lot of stuff we were working on. Um, and, you know, I think folks in southeastern Alberta have been disappointed that the, uh, the review of helicopter EMS, as an example, um, got delayed. And, um, so that, that's been frustrating for them. That's a, a pretty good example of how stuff that we were working on, we were hoping to have been done by now is, has been delayed because, uh, so many people had to divert their attention during COVID. I can only imagine from a strategic planning perspective to have, you know, a plan in place and initiatives that, that are required and the constant balance between access to care and, and budget management. And then obviously COVID came in and it was an all hands on, on deck mindset. And some of the, some of the feedback or certainly some of the media rhetoric where it's been some of the changes or some of the things that were still being done at a time, it, it, it felt like, it felt like guys that you as an organization, as a group, the, uh, the health ministry was under incredible pressure to support everything that we needed to do from a COVID perspective while simultaneously I can only imagine you were still dealing with the very hard budget realities of the cost of health healthcare in our province that was, you know, well identified as a challenge before COVID started. So yeah, just, I guess, being empathetic, but maybe getting a perspective for, for you. How is balancing those two objectives of providing care at the level that we need to during a pandemic while simultaneously dealing with the fact that, you know, Alberta was one of, as one of the highest per capita costs of healthcare in the country, or certainly everything I've read is first or second in that place. That's an interesting spot to be in back in 2018, early 2019. Well, I, I think it's it um, comes down to to changing our priorities. So um, our priorities since the the pandemic and it's going to continue, um, you know, till till the next election. Are um, you know the, the budget? I think and, and trying to to manage our, our budget before COVID um, is uh, a lower priority now, and, and especially with with health. And I'm I'm happy. To have the support of uh, of a premier and in a treasury board who sees the the number one priority for government has to be the pandemic and the um, you know the, the safety and the healthcare of um, of, of Albertans. Uh, the second priority is is jobs, and then third is, is budget. And to a great extent, um, those um, the, that third priority does not align with the first priority. We we had to make sure that um, budget constraints were not an issue when applying to the pandemic. So. You know, PPE as an example, when we started, you know, realizing we're going to run out if we didn't start buying in January, February, um, we, we said to, to AHS, I mean, make sure, um, you know, buy, buy, buy whatever you need for, um, at that point, we thought there would only be one wave, right? Back in, in January and February, but, uh, make sure you have enough for the pandemic. And, and we bought an enormous amount. Thankfully, had to outbid the rest of the world, but we were able to, um, make sure that, Albertans and um, our healthcare workers here were not going to face the shortages that, that the um, the rest of the world um, suffered from. Just as an example, and and you know, continuing care, the 170 million that um, we ended up having to provide them, so they could make sure their staff and the residents are safe. We we uh, spent um, uh, a significant amount of, of money for for COVID, and, and budget constraints were were not at, at all uh, coming in as a factor for our response to the pandemic. 
It's interesting, Kay. I hear what you're saying, that the challenges of dealing with those two things simultaneously. Certainly the media is portrayed it as very much this adversarial relationship. And you know, I think what, whether it's, you know, I've read some open letters from the AMA and some, there's that perspective out there that it seemed from the outside or certainly the way the media like to portray it, that even through that time, while you guys were doing everything you could to support, there was this controversial or, you know, confrontational relationship that seemed to be brewing between the health ministry and and the doctors and the medical staff and maybe can you speak to that because the the sound bites love to let you think that that's all that's going on I, the point of the show is also exposing people to maybe the rest of the story sure i mean i i definitely don't see it uh, as adversarial um it's definitely the way that um the uh you know i look in, in the ama they they wanted to um uh, negotiate hard on 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 this issue so um definitely um how things ended up being portrayed in the media. Definitely not my take on things. Uh, my dad w- was a doctor uh, before he retired. Um, I, I have nothing but respect for, for doctors. So um, when I, I hear this impression that doctors have, that um, we um, have uh, said disparaging things about them, uh, that they're, they're liars, they're greedy. It, we've never said that. We've never had as a government, and me in particular, anything but respect for them. Um, and, and it sometimes is, is difficult because I think doctors themselves don't, don't know. And they're, they were hearing, um, you know, from, from the AMA, um, and maybe not getting a hundred percent of the picture. Um, they, um, as well, didn't necessarily know how the, the framework and how they were paid and, and Albertans didn't understand the framework and how they were paid and how much the, the framework that we announced in February was, uh, it, it essentially, um, the same, you know, doctors are paid through legislation, not through an agreement. They're, they're not employees. So uh, that legislation is still there. And um, I'm compelled still to to pay the invoices of doctors when they submit them. So um, that, that framework is still there. We used to have three agreements with uh, the AMA. Um, you know, one of those agreements was called a master agreement and, and gave the, the ability of a government to, to set a budget um, to a, a third party. And, and the AMA had a, a veto on, on that budget. And um, we knew we couldn't continue. We doctors are, are the best paid here than any other province. We want to continue to make sure that the the most generously paid. We just knew that it has to fit though within a budget. Um, we saw over the last four years, I think, a twenty three percent increase in physician compensation. Um, and um, you know, the choices were going to end up being whether we continue with a framework where we can't have a budget. But if that was the case, then it was going to mean having to take you know, uh, money from AHS to be able to pay the, the physicians. And, and so that wasn't, that wasn't going to, um, uh, be sustainable. It wasn't going to, to be what we, we wanted to do. You know, it, the, the budget is, you know, now 22 billion, uh, for, for healthcare. You know, 2 billion goes to, to our drug plans. Um, 5.4 goes to our, our physicians and, and almost the rest of it goes to, to AHS. So the, the, the choices are, you know, do we start, you know, closing down hospitals or do we start setting a, a budget and, and working with the AMA um, on a budget? And, and we actually, to, to give that predictability and stability to doctors so they can know, you know, how, how rates might be affected in the future, uh, set up a committee where they're going to be participating on it. And they come back and it's not the minister really nearly making changes to the rates. It's um, the AMA working on this committee to send recommendations to the minister for me to um, to to uh, consider, and 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 um, I think a lot of doctors themselves wanted uh, the first um, 
codes that were reviewed to be the, the radiology codes. And so we're very happy to have the AMA working on that committee and doing that review. Um, and, uh, but I also have said to the AMA since that new framework was announced in, in February that we also, I don't take a position on what budget management looks like. And so if we got to a point in the year where we saw concerns about being able to meet budget, um, I, I want the AMA to tell us what budget management looks like. And so I, I think there's always been an opportunity for us to say to the AMA, I, I'm happy to have an agreement with you if it's important to you. But I, I think instead of going back to the Redford um, master agreement, let's have a, an agreement where we're working with you and deferring to you on what budget management could look like. And um, th- that's actually the, the conversations that we've been having with them for the last few months. And so I think it's been really productive. Not everybody knows that that's happening, happening behind the scenes. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I, there, there's a, a fantastic opportunity for us to, to make sure that you know, the AMA is, is involved in what budget management looks like. Certainly listen to you talk, just taking back to kind of the basics of business, having so many stakeholders and having different parties at the table, like that need for a collaboration and so many different agendas being stewarded and such an easy, slippery path to lead down a, 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 a place of misalignment. I can only imagine that happens almost at the drop of a hat when you not have everybody around the room for every conversation every time, which is almost not tenable in a fast moving world that we live in. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's um, th- there are a lot of, of stakeholders, um, and I think that the difficulty is out of all the, the stakeholders and interest groups that are involved in health. Um, a, a lot of them are are uh, really good at um, advocating for for their voice, the voice of their members. Um, the the group that has the quietest voice and the voice that's probably been the most ignored for the last two decades, um, if not even longer, has it's been patients. And, and so, um, when we look at the, the difficulties that we have in the system right now, a lot of these difficulties are, are trying to make a system that is less focused on the institutions and more focused on, on patients. And so that, that's been our focus for, for the last uh, year and a half is, is how do we make these changes? So, um, I, the best example is actually continuing care. Um, you know, this is a, a part of the, and, and we started talking about this even before COVID. COVID has, I think uh, a bit of a silver lining with COVID is that it's, it's brought focus on continuing care, a part of the system everybody's always wanted to ignore. Uh, it's not not a, a part of the system most people want to talk about or, or really admit is, is there. It makes people uncomfortable to talk about continuing care, but it's a part that you know you if you need designated support of living or if you need long term care, you don't get to age in place. A lot of people don't get to, to live with their spouses. Um, because the entire system is focused on the institutions rather than on the patient. So um, a good example of how we're trying to make those changes. When you think about the world of, you know, as, as a business person, as a marketer, we always talk about customer centricity and understanding what the customer needs before they need it. And it's not, it's not what we think. It's actually understanding what they think. And to, you know, when I think about change uh, for the sake of, you know, like the word institution and the word change sometimes don't go together well. And I'm not certainly saying it is or isn't, but thinking about what we're fighting to protect if this is the way we've always done it versus like, let's stop and kind of almost flip the apple cart and look at things in a completely different way, which is, I could imagine is incredibly challenged to do in a sacred, in a sacred realm of, of healthcare where we've had it a certain way. And there's probably a tendency to want to keep the status, the status quo in place, even if quote unquote, it's not yielding the best, the best outcomes. And that's a tough, that's a tough uh, hearts and minds thing to change. I would imagine. 
It is. And, and I think, um, you know, as, as well, if you look at the entire system, you know, um, there, there's primary care, there's uh, EMS. That's how most of us kind of enter the system. You know, the center of it all is acute care, the 100 hospitals that we have in AHS. Kind of the, the center is, is acute care. Uh, but there's also, you know, scheduled surgeries, diagnostic imaging, like the, the x-rays, the CTs, the MRIs, the lab system, you know, indigenous health, continuing care. And, and acute care, uh, AHS, and, and the performance review that we did of them in, in 2019, they, they really did want to, um, uh, they want to see those transformational changes. And, but let's, let's admit, like, the, the quality that we have in the acute care system um, is not a concern. A, acute care especially you know, we, we see this in, in COVID, acute care, HS is doing a fantastic job. So it wasn't about improving quality. It was about improving efficiency so we can make sure we have more money to, to we're going, that are going to patients and we can start funding you know, new and transformational therapies like CAR T cell therapy, which we announced um, recently. I think there's um, other great um, therapies that um, uh, like gene therapies that we'll have to start fi- uh, financing soon for, for patients. Great opportunities if we can make AHS more efficient. I literally, I literally like what you said, the trade-off. It's it's not efficient. It's not that we had something, there was nothing wrong from a quality perspective. There's an efficiency perspective, which directly relates to cost. And I think there's many companies, non-healthcare related in Alberta, especially in the, in the resource sector in the last six years, have had to get a lot more efficient at how they do business to be effective and stay competitive. And I don't want to minimize healthcare in any way and refer to it as a business, but there is still the realities of, of dollars and cents that can't be removed. So when you think about even, you know, reading some of the history and spending a little bit of time, you know, getting, prepping for my conversation with you, looking back in the 90s and 96, where there were some aggressive cuts made due to a really depressed oil market, where the cost of healthcare in Alberta needed to come down to the second lowest point in the country because we were at the highest. Are we also in just a similar cycle? Is there some just real hard realities that we have to face as a province that maybe doesn't have the resource revenue that we once had? Well, there are going to be uh, realities for uh, for Albertans to to face with you know this triple black swan event you know with COVID uh, oil demand plummeting um, Saudi Russian um, oil price fights, but um, I, I like the comparison to the '90s. Um, sometimes our opponents have tried to make um, comparisons to decline, and you're right. There were drastic drastic cuts to to healthcare. Um, healthcare was cut in the Klein years by. 13%. Um, and, um, and if you compare us, we've actually increased. So we've, we've actually never cut healthcare. We have increased it. We're looking for ways in spending our money more efficiently, but also expanding therapies, expanding coverage, um, and in a particular mental health and addiction. And, you know, there is, before we were in government, if you wanted a treatment bed, you, um, you had to pay for it yourself or, you know, 20% of the beds were actually filled by people who qualify for Alberta supports. But the rest of it, you, you had to um, be rich enough to be able to afford one of those treatment beds. Or you had to mortgage a house. You had to sell a car if you had a, a kid who needed treatment. If you were a senior or you were um, not um, uh, able-bodied, you, you really didn't have access to a treatment bed. And we've changed that. Now 100% of the system is... Um, publicly funded. It, they're, most of them are provided independently by, by our nonprofits who are great partners in that, but they're, they're not publicly funded. And that's a, it's an example of how we were actually trying to expand coverage of the publicly funded universal system by being more efficient with our money. 
back to the back to access to care. So curious, that's a great way to segue into the the the, the a two tiered system, private versus publicly funded. Some of the direction that that yourself and your government are heading in, you know, which creates a lot of buzz. You hear some people in my groups of friends are like, yeah, no, I love it, and I meet other groups of friends are like, no, it's terrible. It's the downfall of our of our healthcare system. So curious from your perspective on any like you know Bill Thirty, some of the changes that you guys have made to set what appears to be set the stage for more privatization to come in with the goal and everything I've read to give more access to care and actually create a broader system, not a, not a more restricted system. Love to hear your kind of thoughts and feedback on that. Sure. Um, so first of all, I, I do not consider something that's 100% publicly funded to be private. Um, uh, and, and so this is uh, terminology that, that I kind of picked up from, from folks when I was going throughout the world interviewing people um, after I came into this job and, and talking to folks from the United Kingdom. They call them independent providers. Um, and, and that's exactly right because they are publicly funded. They're independently owned. They're independently operated. They're not operated by HS or by government, but that doesn't mean they're private. And, and I, I think the best example of that is, you know, when I go into my, my doctor's office, my family doctor, or if I go see a specialist, you know, ear, nose and throat specialist for, for my kids' ears, I don't say I'm walking into a private clinic, but it, it's privately owned. It's privately operated. Um, it, it's still a part of the system because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm walking out of that office and I'm, I'm not, well, except when I get my driver's license because I got a, a class two. Um, I'm not, I'm not paying for anything. Um, when, when I'm walking out of that office. So I don't consider it a, a private clinic. Um, so, um, I think there are absolutely more opportunities for, uh, independent providers to be part of the system. They're everywhere. Our, our 11,000 doctors. Most of them are independent providers. They're all professional corporations for the most part. Um, although with Bill 30, we actually are changing that. We're giving a salary model to doctors if they choose, if they choose. Um, so I saw, uh, I read, I read about that. I read about that option. That's, that's interesting. Is that something that, and I was curious, you, you mentioned, and I really appreciate that. Where have you looked around the world for great examples? You know, I think we, sometimes we don't, we don't look out of our own little, we get our head down kind of thing in Alberta, kind of the old head down ass up philosophy, but looking around the world and finding other models and being able to kind of cherry pick what has worked really well. You mentioned, you know, in the UK, what other models have you seen? And is that something you've seen do well in other parts of the world, the salary option? Um, well, um, I, I think the salary option really came from an interview that I had uh, of, uh, with a physician who was in um, southeastern rural Alberta, and, and her complaint was, look, um, I, I just want to come in and serve my patients. And, and I have, um, you know, people are leaving rural Alberta. I have a patient panel that's, that's going down. So the amount of money I can make is going down, but my overhead's going up. And if you want to retain people or recruit somebody from a younger generation to come out and replace me, um, how are you going to do it if it's only fee for service? So um, I took that to heart, and so knowing that all these these choices are are going to be up to doctors, I just want to give them more tools on how they're paid, so that we can in, increase. Because if we have eleven thousand doctors and only seven hundred of them are in rural Alberta, then we got a problem. And so, how do we we make sure when we know a community is out there uh, with a shortage, we can we can hire? Um, so that, that was, that's actually how that came about. Um, other jurisdictions that we've, we've looked to, um, I'd also say this, just going back to, to when our party was, was formed and, and we included this in our campaign commitment. It's a, a commitment to a publicly funded universal system. Um, so, uh, a, a universal system, anybody can have access to who's an Albertan, 
Nobody ever has to pay for the things that are included in, in the insurance plan. It's all publicly funded. And, and that's our, our commitment, um, despite what some of our opponents want to say. Um, and um, so when we look to other jurisdictions, it's others with a publicly funded universal system. So it's a big chunk of the rest of the world. It's not the United States. So um, uh, we, we don't, the United States doesn't even have a health system, really, quite frankly. But, you know, there's, there's Europe, there's, there's Denmark, there's Sweden, uh, there's the United Kingdom, there's New Zealand, and there's Australia. Um, those have been um, some of the, the, the main ones that we've been looking to who have a universal system that's publicly funded. And yeah, parts of them are, are not going to be provided um, by, um, by uh, in, in, a, in a public institution like AHS. But AHS relies on, on all those partners already. And we're, we're just looking at other ways to expand capacity by working with those independent partners. It's interesting. I, I love the concept of independent providers and it makes sense. I think about access that I've had and these are privately run environments, but they're part of quote unquote the system. They just got the contract to provide that that piece of work. So curious that from a business perspective to me, that just makes a ton of sense. And I don't want to sound like a Luddite or just like, oh, that sounds simple, but it seems to kind of create so much angst or certainly it, it creates fodder for the opposition, as you said, or the media to pick it up and spin it into something that it sounds more clandestine and like, uh, like it's some master plan, some Machiavellian thing. But listen to you talk, it feels like it's actually the smart, well, it's, it's not even a smart way. To, it's the way it's already working. You guys are just capitalizing on what's the best way to provide that care. Curious why it's so easy to pick it out as a target and attack it from your perspective. Um, I think because, in, well, um, I think our opponents really aren't, um, how do I say this? I, I think what they're really opposed to is, is non-unionized workplaces, right? So the, the NDP, their, their main stakeholder is, is representing the unions and the unions themselves um, you know, for, for them, if, if there are more non-unionized workplaces that are providing care, that's, it's, it's they see it as zero sum. So that means there's, there's less dues for them to collect. So that is threatening to them. So, um, that's, that's the sole interest. And that's, that's why I pointed out many times in the house that my concern with the NDP when they criticize it is they're not worried about patients. They're not worried about improving access to care and improving wait times. They're, they're really worried about the, the bottom line of the, the unions, unfortunately. And, and I invite them to, to start thinking about the patients. The surgical initiative, um, you know, I find it astounding for anyone to say that it, it is uh, American style at all because the, the surgical initiative meant that we needed to, in, in budget 2020, um, invest $100 million in AHS and their operating rooms to be able to expand them make some of them bigger so they could do uh, greater volumes of surgeries. It means giving AHS more money to be able to do uh, some of, you know, more, more surgeries. It's more nurses. Surgeries um, before this initiative, you know, you, you, they start at 7.30 really in the morning and, and they, they'd be done by 3.30. Uh, a lot of those surgeries be winding down by 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. And most people didn't know that they, they were not continuing for the rest of the day. Um, unless they were emergency surgery. So like, I think the, you know, we're both in Calgary, the Peter Lougheed, as an example, 16 operating rooms, 14 of them are, are empty by, um, 3.30 before, uh, 2020. Um, and, um, and, and they, they'd be that way. Only two of them be, you know, working 24 hours for those emergency surgeries. Um, you know, we, we've added that second shift for AHS to be able to go later on until 10 or, or midnight to be doing surgeries on weekends. 
And, and that's, that means investment in the public, uh, publicly delivered system as well as the, the independent providers as well. We want them to be full capacity too and, and for there to be more of them, but it, it's not zero sum for us. It means investing in the, the unionized workplaces as well. No, I'm hearing it's you have to you have to elevate both, but offsetting and you know the efficiency. Interesting what you said about the this the concept of you know a unionized approach, which they are. That's clear. I would agree with that for sure. Listening to you talk about it because I've heard, I've heard I was reading and I was uh, hearing it said that you know well the the your government wants to put in business people and not let the doctors have a say, and then I from it here. But the other side, it's like well actually no, you're actually looking to really support this unionized environment. It's an interesting just the the choice and being somebody who I always joke I'm a. Uh, I'm a refugee from Quebec. I grew up in Quebec during referendums. And when I moved to Alberta, I was like, no more politics. I don't want to get involved. But the last couple of years, it's been hard not to, as it's been such a factor for our province. I feel like I'm a, I'm a political refugee from the, that's all was talked about in that environment for quite a few years growing up. But moving here to a 40 year you know, government, there wasn't much talk about it. But the last five years, that's been very different. Interesting to hear your perspective of you know optimization, improving efficiency, access to care, of a blend between and still having the, the 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 doctors being an equal part of that versus the the NDP story, which is a little bit doctors getting minimized and business people running the show. That's certainly not the story I'm hearing you lay out at all. Well, I, I would also point out that um, the the charter surgical facilities, um, which we're now calling them uh, under uh, Bill Thirty. And I think because people then can understand uh, what, you know, because charter schools, they can understand if a surgical facility is chartered by AHS, then it's integrated and it's not, it's not parallel. It's integrated with AHS. It's managed by AHS under contract. And so the, the criticisms that there, there be, you know, some kind of uh, depletion of resources or people go be going to some parallel system is, is totally, quite frankly, insane. Um, and that, that's why we want to start calling them charter surgical facilities because then people can understand the system better. And I actually think the, the difficulty has been in, in any change is that um, if people don't know the system they already have. Um, and so if people don't know the system they already have, then it makes it easier for, for uh, opponents to, um, to, to quite frankly, to be dishonest with Albertans and uh, to kind of play up on that anxiety and, and to be successful in campaigns of disinformation. Well, with the lack of the lack of information, it's easy to to bite onto something and to you know, and then it gets fed. We all know the world of media that we live in, and the more you, you click on something, the more of that thing you get, and it can really take you down a road of misinformation, which is you know, part of even why I was really excited to chat with you today. Just like have a good old fashioned joke, have a good old fashioned chat, and take a little bit more than a quick ten second sound bite and go, oh, this must mean this, versus hearing you unpack it. I guess so. How much a like, and that's a tough one from a messaging and a PR standpoint, if nothing else, you know, how much you know, how much of time and energy do you guys have to put in or to really help educate Albertans? Because you, you don't know. And, and that's, I think, such a dangerous place to be because you can really get influenced by misinformation. Uh, good question, because it goes back to your previous question about what, what uh, plans were, were delayed by COVID. Um, the, the performance review that Ernst & Young did of, of AHS in 2019 um, there, was, there was 57 recommendations that came out of that. And, and actually, that was one of the recommendations that... Um, there, there needs to be a, um, a public uh, education campaign to be able to help Albertans understand their system. Because if Albertans understand the system, then they will also know and be more empowered to navigate the system better. So um, unfortunately, that has been uh, delayed by COVID. And, um, you know, going into the second wave, I think it's going to continue to be, um, I, I think, 100% of our focus on, on uh, our communications has to be about COVID. 
I think that's actually also been a little bit of a the difficulty in, you know, when it comes to the relationship with the physicians and being able to explain to them, the, the members of the AMA and to Albertans, what actually was changed in February and what wasn't. Um, we, we weren't really allowed to, we had to focus entirely our comms on, on COVID and protecting Albertans and just talking about a pandemic that did leave a vacuum and, and that did leave for, for folks who wanted to, um, uh, to, to, um, spread disinformation to be successful, unfortunately. But, um, I, I, I know that by the end of the day, um, we're, we're going to, um, be successful in, in helping Albertans understand that, um, um, whatever, all the changes have been uh, in in the best interests of, of patients and, and quite frankly for physicians too. So, um, but but just to, to go back to your your point about you know what was delayed by COVID. I appreciate what you said. The comment about when you when you when you leave a vacuum or you leave a space because you were over here focusing on obviously something you need to focus on. It left a lot of opportunity for that other for that other message to get l- replaced and you know potentially disseminated in a way that wasn't beneficial to Albertans who maybe who let's be honest we didn't really understand what we didn't know in the first place. And someone comes in and goes, by the way, this is how it is. And with the lack of anything to replace it, it's really easy to start believing what floats by, which is I think behooves us all to be very discerning on our on our on our social media feeds and our and our where we where we get our news. But that's another podcast for another day. We won't go down that rabbit hole. I appreciate your clarification around not an American style system because I've certainly read that and it gets thrown around pretty easily because arguably I don't think a lot of us know what that even means either. We just know it's quote unquote not as good as, as, as Canada as we're this you know, inherent Canadian pride around our healthcare. So one thing I did want to ask about, this is very pointed, and it's a meme or I think it's a social media infographic that I saw floating around. So case in point, I saw a, a social media post that stated that Alberta Healthcare was, I think, the fifth largest in job cuts of any corporation in North America in October. I think it was 11,000 jobs against the backdrop of COVID and what we all what we all know and appreciate is a very overworked and highly invested uh, primary care network. Uh, Numbers like that and stories like that really paint a negative picture without a lot of context. So it's something I wanted to just kind of maybe clarify or get the the, the rest of the story from you today on the show. Oh, thanks. No, I, I appreciate getting an opportunity uh, to to speak to that because it's not true. Um, and uh, I think that's a good example of what we were talking before about um, these campaigns of disinformation. Um, uh, that I think, if my memory serves me correctly, was um, a meme that was created by um, an organization that that represents unions. So, um, mm. no. Um, th- look, what, what's happening is this goes to the um, the implementation plan that AHS um, is is using for the Ernst and Young report from last year. And and let me just go back to that performance review that Ernst Young did when it was uh, released publicly in, in 2020 in January or February. Um, even, even the health critic of um, the NDP um, complimented as, as most of it being, you know, common sense uh, proposals. Um, and, and one of the proposals in particular was about um, contracting out, um, you know, non, non-clinical stuff uh, like, um, oh, and well, some clinical stuff like the, the labs piece as well. But when it comes to laundry and when it comes to labs, um, this is, these are already parts of the system which are mostly contracted out already. So north of Red Deer, you know, most of our, our community labs are already contracted out to, to Dynalife. Um, and, you know, we used to have in, in the, in, in Calgary and in the south part of the province, we used to have Calgary lab services before they were bought out by, by AHS. 
Um, so, so most people already have that relationship with community labs that are independent providers and 100% you know, publicly funded. Uh, laundry in, in Edmonton and Calgary already 100% contracted out. So most of the province is already contracted out for laundry. Um, so these, um, these plans uh, will take years to implement. This is not happening in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I, I think the unions know that. Uh, I think they're, they're playing it up and, and, and maybe uh, not being entirely honest with Albertans about what's happening during the pandemic. But that, that uh, meme is, is another example of the, the, uh, the campaigns of disinformation. And look, I, I, I think unions have to use all of their resources to, to, um, to, to leverage uh, for, for negotiating tactics. Um, but um, it's just not true. Th- those are going to be years uh, down the road when, when these plans are, are implemented. Like, uh, if, if we're to um, to contract out, uh, AHS is right now already uh, overwhelmed and, and focusing on the pandemic. For them to contract out food and, and housekeeping would would take um, at least until twenty two or twenty three for for that to to be uh, considered. Interesting. Well, let's, I appreciate the interesting, everyone's got their mandate. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the patient is the one that gets lost in the mix when you talk about the union mandate and coming back to patient centricity and customer centricity. Let's talk about the future. Let's move forward and talk about you guys. Obviously, the pandemic is a very is a very real thing that, in one way or another, will will soon be behind us. I'm going to just say that and, and leave it, not being able to have any more of a crystal ball than that. But it's a two or three years from now when when you think about the role that you can play in reshaping the Alberta healthcare system to be something better than it is, whatever whatever that is. Do you want to paint a picture for us? Of like, let's 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 live in the future a little bit. Let's blue sky this thing a bit. Sure. Well, so I, I talked a little bit about uh, how I see the system, um, you know, acute care kind of being at the center. I think the quality of acute care is um, second to none in Canada here in Alberta. Uh, AHS does an amazing job of that. Uh, primary care. Um, I think our primary care physicians do an extraordinary job as, as well. Um, you know, going back to the, the compensation piece for AMA, I, I think there are, are lots of concerns that our primary care physicians have always had about, especially those in rural Alberta. Um, about um, equity, and um, and so that's actually why we we've um, uh, increased how much we pay rural physicians. Uh, we announced uh, an action plan in, in in April. So I think there has to be continued work in in being able to uh, work with our primary care physicians, in particular in rural Alberta, on that that patient um, medical home model, uh, so we can continue to improve. But the, the quality of primary care, I, I think, is again is second to none here in Alberta. Um, the rest of the system, like EMS, um, our scheduled surgeries, um, our uh, Indigenous health, continuing care, those those are areas of the system that that do need uh, attention, that do do need um, work, um, legislative changes as as well as uh, policy changes for and, and funding changes, and so that that's where our, our focus is is going to to continue to to be. You know, um, in the background, while we're also applying to COVID, but uh, as well after COVID, scheduled surgeries. We uh, just as an example, um, you know, right now there are a bunch of doctors in each province who who kind of sit down and figure out what is the clinically appropriate amount of time that a patient should wait before they get a surgery, and it's called here in Alberta ACTS, uh, ACTS, and it's like a sixty-page document and. No province is ever able to to meet these um, these recommended uh, wait times that doctors have set out for us. Seventy eight percent of them are, are supposed to be within four four months, and and all of them within twenty six weeks. Uh, we're going to do that by by uh, twenty three. 
um, despite the delays that COVID is, is imposing on us. And I think that's a, a great example of how we can shift and spend more money on our surgeons, spend more money on AHS, spend more money on our, our chartered surgical facilities to be able to meet those, uh, those guidelines. Um, and uh, so that, that one excites me, especially uh, that one, because uh, I think we hear that when we knock on doors uh, more than anything else, that, that people are sick of seeing their loved ones and or them themselves being on a, a wait list in pain and waiting for, for that surgery. No, the eight month, 10 month, 18 months, 20 month wait list, it almost becomes like, it's just standard fare. And that's unfortunate because back to access to care and the customer experience, ultimately when it comes right down to it is how is this impacting me and the people I, and the people I love and healthcare exists in a very interesting place because of that. Mm-hmm. So your recommend, if I'm an Albertan and I'm listening to this, I'm like, you know what? I need to get more informed. I need to maybe maybe put on my media filter a little bit more aggressively and get some more facts. Where would you recommend Albertas go to, to get to the maybe the bottom of the story and be able to make more informed decisions on what is happening with healthcare in our province? Well, um, I mean, we, we have a substantial amount of information on, on Alberta.ca um, when it comes to um, you know, the, the changes that we're, we're trying to, uh, uh, try, trying to, to implement throughout the system. Um, so uh, happy to, I, and we have, have to include more, uh, quite frankly. I, I think COVID has, has, um, distracted us as well. And so a lot of our comms is, is, uh, is focused on COVID. So, um, we haven't uh, announced yet a lot of the changes that we have already started with EMS as an example, where we're trying to go with improving EMS. So that's not there yet. Um, but I, I encourage Albertans to go to alberta.ca to, to see where some of this information is. Hopefully, we'll be able to announce um, some of the, the changes for EMS and the, the new vision for EMS uh, fairly soon. Um, for example, in February, we started putting physicians in our dispatch so they could we could have that clinical oversight to make sure that we're, we're more efficient on how uh, ambulances are dispatched. Uh, continuing care, that work is, is, is there on alberta.ca. And um, the, the expert panels that we've uh, appointed to be able to review the legislation and the, the funding models for our um, continuing care operators throughout the province. Indigenous health, um, we are working with our, um, uh, our First Nations and other Indigenous communities to, um, in, in three ways. One, to, to increase access. Um, two, to improve outcomes. But uh, third as well, to... Um, include them as partners in the delivery of healthcare, and so some of that is is on Alberta.ca as well. Um, but um, we're we're working with those folks because not only will it help improve improve access, but it also improves the opportunities for um, Indigenous people to be um, choosing healthcare as a profession, whether as a regulated health professional like doctors and nurses, or even as hospital administrators, and um, so. I'm really excited in improving those opportunities for um, indigenous communities as well. I, pre- I appreciate the concept of access, like right across on, on, on all levels, not just access to care. That's access to actually being part of the system and being integral in our in our province. That's awesome. And last but not least, I can't we can't not just touch on it. Any perspectives, thoughts on kind of what's happening on this nonstop roller coaster of the COVID um, cycle that we're that we're on right now? In terms of like you said, we'd hoped and believed it would be a first wave. Now we're clearly into a second, and some of the numbers are. This podcast will probably come out in a, in, a, in a week, but as of right now, some of the numbers are reaching uh, some scary levels. Certainly on on a, on a provincial and also on a, on a national on a national level, if not global, any thoughts from the from the from your perspective on kind of how the next few months are going to play out? And I, I'm asking you to. I know this is maybe a tough question to ask right at the end. 
Uh, no, because well, I, I think we said this throughout uh, the pandemic so far, and especially in the spring, that um, the um, the response to the pandemic is um, first and foremost in the hands of Albertans. Um, we can continue to um, uh, announce new measures, but if Albertans continue to try and find loopholes or push things as close to the line as they can or ignore uh, measures, then we're, we're not doing any favors for our healthcare workers. We're not doing any um, uh, favors for those who are in continuing care. Uh, the rise uh, in cases in continuing care is proportional, directly proportional to what we see in, in, in transmission in the community. So um, the more cases we have in the community, more cases we have in continuing care. And uh, to take care of the vulnerable, our loved ones, our healthcare workers, Albertans um, have to start limiting their social interactions as much as they can. And, and whether um, to, at, at a minimum, with the uh, recommended measures that um, Dr. Henshaw has uh, imposed so far, we're going to continue to, to have to um, change those, those, whether it's adding new measures or, or changing what's already in place um, throughout the pandemic based on, on the best evidence available. Um, and um, that, that's, that's going to be tough because right now Albertans are seeing huge uh, amounts of, of cases increasing every day. Um, the, the R value uh, for both Edmonton and Calgary continue to be above one, which is a concern. Um, our, our focus, um, and if, if you go back to May and when we relaunched the economy and, and the health system, the, the focus was always, the, those two triggers were always about hospital capacity. So our focus is going to be on hospital capacity and making sure that the, the critically ill continue to be um, getting the care that they need in Alberta. Um, our doctors and our nurses are um, uh, stressed. They're overwhelmed. Um, and uh, my heart goes out to them. I thank them for uh, everything they're, they're doing because it's an enormous amount of work um, with outbreaks and continued care and, and acute care. It makes it hard to move patients around the system to relieve the healthcare workers. But um, it's it's going to um, uh, still be be months um, uh, that we have to live with with COVID. Um, even with the first tranche of vaccines, it's it's not going to be a silver bullet in, in January. We're going to continue to see it for months, and uh, we'll we'll continue to work on the capacity uh, issue with um, with AHS. But um, Albertans have to. Um, it, it's in the hands of Albertans themselves, and and how how many cases we have, and how many people we're going to have in hospitals. No, I really appreciate that. A little, a little hard lesson of like personal accountability and just respect for the people around you. And no matter your beliefs or otherwise, respect the people around you and, and, and make that, make those hard choices of maybe don't go to that dinner party or don't go do that thing. But man, we're, we love to do what we like to do. We don't like much to impede us, but this is not a time to, to think that way. But anyways, let's not get too philosophical about the, the right and wrong of stay home, stay home kids, <laughs> make the right choices. Tyler, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your candor. You're willing to just have a, just have a good old fashioned chat about a topic that I think is on top of mind and in the hearts of, of every of every Albertan. So please uh, can you know continued support from me and anything I can do, but uh, keep up the good work. And I know it's a it's a it's a lot of work ahead and you guys are you guys are doing what you can to make it better. So I appreciate that. Well thank you and thanks for, for reaching out. Um, appreciate uh, being on the show and um, uh, look forward to, uh, to to being back on. Um, you know, this is not be the last time uh, I'm on the show and um, look forward to uh, maybe uh, when it's uh, appropriate uh, us meeting in person. So thank you for, for letting me uh, dial in remotely. 
Absolutely. I, I, I look forward to that. I do, I do love a good old fashioned hangout and that feels, that's going to feel like a privilege the day that, 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 that we're able to do that again. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll make, I'll make a star beside your name. There's a, there's maybe a, a coffee or a cocktail in our future. <laughs> Sounds good. Tyler, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bye.